Shabbat Shalom, everybody. It is such a privilege for Elias and Michelle and Dan and me to be with you in our favorite space, the Gan Chapel. We are taping this podcast on Wednesday, January the 31st, 
and it is going to be shown this coming Shabbat, Parshat Yitro, when we stand at Sinai. So colleagues, before we do the blessing to thank God for the gift of learning Torah together, I wanted to frame this class and talk a little bit about the creative process. I had hoped for a respite from Israel. I had hoped for a respite from uh, darkness because I was going to talk instead about um, last week's portion, this week's portion, which raised the issue of transformation, which is um, you, you, the Israelites experience something that should be transformational. They should be fundamentally different on the other side of it. Last week, it was the splitting of the Sea of Reeds. They should be different on the other side of it. What a miracle. Walla water to the left and to the right. They're saved. Their tormentors are dead. They're saved. They should be different on the other end of it, and they're not. And then this week's portion, we stand at Sinai, and they get the Torah, and God comes down, and their senses are so alive that they can hear the lightning, and they can see the thunder. They're just alive. And you would think they should be transformed by Sinai, but they are conspicuously not transformed by Sinai. And what I thought about was what evoked for me was the voice that I have heard from so many parents, so many parents, which is, um, I spent thousands of dollars sending our kids to day schools. I spent thousands of dollars sending our kids to Jewish summer camp. I spent thousands of dollars sending our kids to Israel on these immersive experiences, and they've emerged, and they don't have such a deep connection to Jewish living. And all these transformational experiences, summer camp, day school, Israel experiences, didn't really transform. And I was going to think about that voice in connection with Sea of Reeds and with, um, with standing at Sinai and wonder why is it that these transformational experiences do not many times transform. And then I realized, wait a minute, October 7th transformed. I really, the worst negative energy experience really transformed. So I want to, what, what, what I want to do today with you is um, look at the Sea Reeds and Sinai. Uh, why do they not transform? What does that teach us about the human condition? Then I want to talk about what is it about October 7th, and we're going to look at some poetry that Rachel Korsim taught us uh, that shows how it deeply transformed and immediately transformed. What does that say about us and the human condition? Um, and where do we go from here uh, in terms of how can we transform this moment into a different and better reality? So let's thank God for the gift of learning Torah together. so our first lens is the splitting of the sea. I want to pick up the story at the very end, um, and then what follows immediately after is just so uh, 
prismatic and so revealing of the human condition. So this just at the end, I'll read real quick to get us all on the same page, literally. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea. And the Lord turned back on them the waters of the sea, but the Israelites marched on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her in dance with timbrels. And Miriam chanted for them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses caused Israel to set out from the Sea of Reeds. They went on into the wilderness of Shur. They traveled three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That's why it was called Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There God made for them a fixed rule, and there God put them to the test. God said, if you will heed the Lord your God diligently, doing what is upright in God's sight, giving ear to God's commandments, keeping all of God's laws, then I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. So I want to just kind of begin this conversation by noting that they've just gone through this most manifest miracle. And they are finally free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And Harold Kushner deduces from this text what he calls the 72-hour rule. How long does an afterglow of a miracle last? 72 hours. Three days later, they're complaining the miracles 100 years ago, who can even remember the miracle? I'm thirsty, where's my water? And then to note, just the coda to the coda, which is if God wants them to be uh, faithful to God's laws, God's argument is not, hey, I gave you the Sea of Reeds or I took you out of Egypt. God, it's got to be future-oriented. If you do my laws, I'll keep the diseases of Egypt away from you. And if you don't do my laws, then the diseases of Egypt are going to whack you. So again, this text stands for the proposition that there's very little shelf life to a miracle, that gratitude is, is, is very um, short-lived, and that it takes always a lot more stick than carrot to get faithfulness. So what do you think, guys? Um, so the first thing that comes to mind when I read this is such a wonderful connection to last week's class when we talk about the Messianic Judaism or the... Um, like Dayenu. Dayenu. And Dayenu is exactly the opposite of this. Dayenu is, if, you know, you just have opened the, the waters for us and we will cross, we'll be forever, you know, grateful. This is just the opposite. I mean, it's interesting. Who wrote that to begin with? <laughs> this is clearly the, 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 the response and the experience of the people that went through that they are complaining. But the others, who probably obviously weren't there, they say Diane. It's fascinating how we have both things in the same, the same view of, of, of this. And which one to you, Elias, speaks more truth about human nature? Well, I've been fortunate my whole life to never suffer from hunger. So I cannot, I cannot answer. Mm. Because I would be Diane 
but this brings in human beings a completely different experience. On, on a much more mundane level, we see this Shabbat after Shabbat, right? Bar Mitzvah kids, Shabbat, Sunday the party, Monday, forgotten. I mean, right. So well, actually, well, no. Well, actually, well, no, because this coming Shabbat is an advertisement. Thank you. We, we actually, you know. <laughs> a little jaded, I'm yes, sorry. Yes, we, we actually planned this. This actual Shabbat, we have about yeah. more Shabbat, than yes, 20 this teens is, this coming is, this is back trying to, to turn lead the time, services, yeah, right. do the Devar Torahs, and read Torah after that. This is, this is meant to turn and the tide. Speak Thank you. And tell us all about their transformational experiences yes. here at Temple Emmanuel, so, Michelle, which really do transform yeah. and, and did transform. You know, I, I, I kind of have a question for you about the definition of transformation because I believe that one of the things the Torah is trying to tell us is that transformation is not a one and done, yeah. that you have to continue to give energy towards your transformation if you want to maintain it. You, you actually can be transformed and then have it wear off unless you say, wow, I was transformed. I need to do something now that supports that transformation. Absolutely. And you think about the positive areas of transformation that do transform. They require ongoing commitment. So you get married. You're definitely different on the other end of the chuppah. It's now you're a unit of two, not a unit of one. Uh, and you can't just rely on the energy of the chuppah to keep you going. You've got to work on it every day. You know, you go from not being a parent to being a parent. God has, has blessed you with a child. Uh, amazing, greatest gift ever. And it requires day-to-day -day, uh, engagement to keep that miracle strong and fresh. Yeah, and, and I, when I read the Shalach, I read that very strongly grounded in there. You know, the people actually have a legitimate complaint. They needed water, right? right. It's, don't throw them on the bus, under the bus for saying, I need water, I need sustenance. Right. Say, wait a minute, how do I meet that need without losing sight that I'm still part of a people that has right. experienced a miracle and may experience miracles in the future? Right, so I, I did want to note an asymmetry that a positive experience like getting married, having kids, you know, getting into and going to a wonderful school or getting into and going on and embarking upon a wonderful career uh, or the splitting of the sea of reeds uh, creates beautiful energy but you have to to your point follow up on it and sustain it and deepen it otherwise it dissipates all that stuff right when the couple gets married and ignores each other then the marriage doesn't last etc and you have to it, it requires ongoing commitment and i want to just note and we'll come back to this that with October 7th, it just feels like it's a different force field. Like the, the, this atrocity happened, and we are all changed in a way that is searing and more deeply impacted. Wait, wait, I want to say something that um, remember before October 7th, all these years we've been together, you always, on many occasions, told us that you were part of a generation of rabbis at JTS and, and leading the congregations these days who didn't feel that comfortable talking about the Holocaust, that the Holocaust was something that the past, that we should focus on Israel and move forward and think about the positivity and the beauty of being Jewish. And um, for people who grew up somewhere else, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about other right. people who grew up somewhere else, <laughs> to me the most important experience I ever had was going to the concentration camps in Poland. That changed my life. And in, in um, other parts of the world, 
that trip is so popular because you need to know where you come from in order to appreciate more what you have. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. can I add to that? We have a member here at Temple Emmanuel who made the argument to me that you know once the state of Israel existed, we should stop marking Tisha B'Av, because Tisha B'Av is about a destruction, and we currently live in a time as fraught as it is where the state of Israel exists. I, I would argue now, post-October 7th, Tisha B'Av is arguably more important than ever to remember right. how fragile we are, and he would argue even even in that, if you are putting forward an idea that our past destructions, our past losses define us, then you have missed the point of our of our Jewish endeavor, which is about our future. It's about our hope. It's about our place in the land of Israel. And that is, he would argue, an, an eternal prospect. And so, so, although, although, and so to add on to what Elias said, about the tragedies of our past receding from us, October 7th has transformed us because we are living it. Right, right now it is searing for right. each of us. It has, it has changed the Holocaust from a historical category yes. to a present reality. And but also, regarding Tisha B'Av, doesn't matter. We're right. always on vacation. And so I, I would just say that the, the last piece of that really, or the, the, the important piece that comes out of it, is that if you were there at the splitting of the sea, right? There is a moment in which it so transforms you, you can't think of anything else. When you are impacted by pain and destruction, that lingers in you, it sears you, it changes you. Right. The real question is, does it change your children? And arguably, right, this will change everyone forever. It's going to change our entire trajectory of our history in ways we can't even imagine. But will they know that they were changed by this in 200 years? Right. That's a question I think the Torah's proposition right. here comes to answer that right. actually we will have to continue to tell okay, the story. Cool. Okay, so yeah. I, I want I wanna, to pivot now to this week's portion, today's portion if you're watching this on Shabbos morning, which is um, standing at Sinai. Here is my analogy to this before we read it. Okay, and this is the lens, and um, it's a little bit crude, but I, I personally think this is what's going on in this portion. Um, you get married. You come with your partner to your bridal suite. You're in your marital bed. Your partner goes to the restroom to freshen up. While they're gone, you have sex with the chambermaid. That's what happens with that's what happens with the Israelites at Sinai. And we'll look at it, but and you tell me if I'm over uh, over dramatic. But no, but literally, oh, literally. Here, I'll, I'll I'll make the case now. They stand at Sinai. The first command is, "I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt." The second command is, "No idols. Don't make any idols." They hear that. God spoke those words. They hear this. It's very dramatic. They hear this. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And do not make any idols. While Moses is in the very process of bringing down the command, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, 
the Israelites create an, uh, a golden calf, and they say of the golden calf, this is the Lord who took us out of the land of Egypt. It's, it's a complete and direct betrayal of commandment one and commandment two, while Moses is actually bringing down said commandments. So I just wanna talk about what that says about human nature. So I'm gonna just look at the text, um, let the language of the text speak for itself. Um, the Lord spoke all these words saying, um, on page four of the handout, this is um, the first commandment. Uh, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods besides me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Command one is, I'm God who took you out of Egypt. Command two is no idols, okay? Now, the sin of the golden calf, okay? Moses is literally bringing the tablets down from Sinai to give them the tablets. And we're on page six, uh, chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered against Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who shall go before us. For that man Moses who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Bring them to me. And the people took off the gold rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. This he took from them and cast in a mold and made it into a molten calf. And they exclaimed, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron announced, tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord. Early the next day, the people offered up burnt offerings, brought sacrifices of well-being. They sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose to dance. So it just feels, I just want to note how uh, the Torah goes out of its way to narrate a complete betrayal. Command one, I'm God who took you out of Egypt. Command two, make no idols. Moses is literally bringing down the commandments. And what do they do? They make an idol, and they say of the idol, you are the, you are the one who took us out. How is that not a complete and total betrayal on their wedding night, so to speak? Literally, Moses is bringing the commandments down. I mean, the first so what does that tell us about, I mean, what does that tell us about human nature, dear colleagues? Well, you know, first of all, the people didn't hear these commandments yet. And of course they heard them. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Of course my, they heard them, Dan. Of course they heard them. Yes, it says that God <laughs> spoke all these words saying, of course yes, they heard yes, them. Yes. That's the whole point. Right, so my error, but Exodus 19 <laughs> is all about the stage and crew, the lighting and, yes. and, 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 yes. and the thunder and the lightning and they, their senses uh, are so alive. So of course uh, they although, heard them. Although to be, and it says that God spoke these words saying, of right, course Although they heard to them. be fair to Dan, right, the, the timeline here is so interesting. And there are midrashim to support Dan that, you know, because they were so scared and because of the thunder and the lightning and the, and the shofar and all of that, that the only thing they heard was the aleph of the anochi. Right. And, and they, they couldn't hear the rest. Right. So There's, as Dan is using a midrash. Fair enough. There's a midrash for everything. Uh, you know, angels and demons uh, all 
quote Midrash, but if you actually read the words of Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, if you actually read what it says, it yeah. says that they were all there, and God spoke these words saying. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just okay. giving you your time. But my, back, to, back to the question, what yeah, is this like my, rank betrayal say to us about human nature and about transformative I have my drush on this. Let me, let me just finish quickly. Yeah. So, because the other thing is that look, we're looking at also the human element of it. Yes. And we have Aaron doing his best to keep the people at bay. Give me the rings. I'll burn it down. Uh, I'll burn something. I'll make something. And we, we're not going to do the sacrifices now. We're going to do it a whole day later, saying to himself, Moses, get back. We need you now. Uh, and he hasn't returned. So he's, you know, Aaron is Rodev Shalom. He's, he's trying to mitigate the situation as best he can by keeping the people somewhat at bay. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely I don't agree with what, what, what happens, but I think there's a way to spin it that it's not necessarily only the people's fault. Uh, my view is very different. And since you brought it, I want to continue doing the comparison about the wedding. I believe that, uh, don't laugh, I believe that in today's day and age, most of the people who get married, they do it because they fall in love with each other, all right? We have to go back to the arranged marriages 100 years ago or more to find that there is actually no love there. So uh, I'm not so sure there was love in the Jewish people with Moses and this idea of God. First of all, you have to understand, I'm a slave, but I have a house. I have food. I have a place to go after every day. Right. This idea, wait. I, you didn't ask me if I want to leave this place. You're just saying, I'm your leader, who clearly cannot talk really well because he's not a good speaker like you guys are, because he, he stutter, all right? And this idea that, no, we have our own God. By the way, we are Jewish. We have our own God after 400 years. No, 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 you're confusing. We have our God, and this God will take us from here, and we'll be walking around in the middle of nowhere with no house, no bed, and no food. Where is the love there? I don't believe this guy. I would have acted like all these people with Aaron, all right? Because I want everything, my primary necessities, back with me. So I don't think, I mean, maybe after five years, you go on a trip right. in the wedding, there is no love anymore, and then you cheat on your wife. So, but, so okay, so a few things. First of all, by the way, the standard midrash on Sinai is it's a wedding. Right, the standard midrash is that Sinai is the chuppah, God is the chatan, the people of Israel are the kala, and the Torah is the ketubah. So I to know, bring in, no, no, I know, just, I just so because to deal with, uh, just, I, I wanted to just, marriage. I just wanted to ground the my my take on on the fact that traditional Jewish exegesis sees this as as a as a wedding. What I hear you saying, Elias, is that um, that there's a Maslow's hierarchy issue, which is the, you know, the Israelite slaves, they want grounding, they want food, they want water, they want a house, they want a routine, they want infrastructure, they want scaffolding, and they're taken out of all that, and they're put in the wilderness, which is in between land. They don't have sure food, they don't have sure water, they don't have housing, they have clouds and mana, not exactly anchoring, and that that's what this is, that's what this text is about. Yeah. Michelle? I mean, I find that my favorite commentary on this section of Aaron and the people here um, says that because the people didn't know what how to worship God, they hadn't really been trained in this, 
that this was sort of an, an error that they make. Moses has disappeared. They had seen Moses as the stand-in for God. And that the, I like the commentary. I'm not sure I believe it, but I like it, that they make the golden calf because it's a stand-in for the one God, right? Not that they're trying to commit idolatry, but that they are trying to have a representation of the one God, which is something obviously that they need to learn. That's not the right way. Right. But but it's it's an error rather than so, okay. So their a, intention, their their mental, their mens rea, their intention is not betrayal. It's a nobly intentioned mistake. It, or or that they they simply don't really understand so, chet. Right, right means missing the mark. Right, they so, they don't get what's in front of them, and right. and so one one question case, to me that is really important here to put on the table. Oh, I'm sorry, finish your thought and then. No, I, I was just saying. So this this case is is nuanced and and challenging through the commentary in a way that I think you're trying to make the point that here they are and they should have had this exquisitely transformational moment and they like don't. this you know this is my one true love and they instead are cheating on their one true love but so, if you see that perhaps they they're actually not in that's not what they see that they're doing then then maybe it kind of maybe it was transformational they just didn't direct their transformation. They got scared. Mm. They backed off. They weren't sure. They tried to recreate. They they made it. Okay. Um, they I have, they I have threw a, it into a one ditch. question. One yeah. interesting thing. We we should develop another entire class on this, picking up on what you said. Then I'm not so sure that Aaron is trying to keep everybody at bay here. The question will be: What is the real role of Aaron in this whole thing? Is he stabbing back? You know, his 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 brother here. And saying, "Yes, guys, follow me. I'm the real leader. Let's do okay, this. Give so me we will, I'll make a deal. We will get to Aaron for key, when we get to that portion. Key so I want to just step back for a second. We're talking about uh, the power of transformational experiences to transform or not. And I guess my question to you is: and, and Sinai is supposed to be the transformational experience. It's the covenantal moment, according to classic Jewish interpretation. It's the wedding of God and the Jewish people, and it just feels like." It didn't work. Except for whatever it does. Reason. As well, soon as he gets down, right? They they actually do. And we're here they today, still following. Yes. Okay. So, this the, so the, hence the question: We're still here following the the covenant, but they do the sin of the golden calf. And I guess before we get to Israel and the darker part of this conversation, I want it. So we've got the sea of reeds, big miracle with kind of a, a questionable shelf life. And we have standing at Sinai with a very questionable shelf life since, you know, the sin of the golden calf happens while Moses is bringing down the tablets. And I want to channel the voice. Like, how does this enter the lives of 385 Ward Street? I want to enter the conversations that all of us have had with our parents who say, Rabbi, I need to talk to you. Ken, I need to talk to you. My kid is really disconnected. My kid is disconnected, and I spent thousands of dollars sending them to day school, and thousands of dollars sending them to Israel, and thousands of dollars sending them to Jewish summer camp. And after all that, they just don't seem to care. What do, before we get to Israel, what does the Sea of Reeds and Sinai and their power to transform or not, what light does it shed on our modern educational tools to transform, such as day so, school, uh, Israel, yeah, and So I'm camp? not sure I buy your premise. 
that they don't transform. Um, since this is going to be shared on Shabbat morning, I will invite all of you who are tuning in to stay and go to services on our live stream because you will see examples of teenagers who are going to be sharing words about how they were transformed. And sometimes, sometimes immediately, right. right? And sometimes indelibly, and sometimes like years later in ways they didn't expect. And, and I think we expect that when you are transformed, it's gonna be complete, it's gonna be forever, it's gonna be just so amazing that you're always up here. And I think with a lot of our kids, there are seeds that are planted in them, in, in camp, in meeting with the cantors for their bar and bat mitzvahs. You know, we've had brides and grooms who have come back to us. They haven't stepped into a shul in, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. And they'll come back and say, Dan was my bar mitzvah tutor. Will you teach me the aliyah for my ufra? Right? So, so the question is, what, what are you looking for in your transformation? And could you, ex could you have a dayenu with your transformation, that those seeds were planted and they may take time to come to fruition? Right, and, and those, those moments to me, this is my vision in life, those, these type of moments where you have absolutely happiness and everything is, at the moment you feel it will transform your life, it's hard to maintain that intensity, that happiness, that, you know, out of the blue moment. Because life is not that. Life is right. much more mundane, everyday life. You know, right. yeah. And yet you are transformed because you have all these, you know, what we call sliding doors moments. There are things that you are different because you have experienced them. The way you look at the world, you can't go back anymore. And that's true for negative things. It's true for positive things. And often it's true in ways we don't understand. So I'm in charge of humor in this class. As I don't know if you realize yeah. this. So I want to bring a vignette. So years ago, I, I was uh, playing tennis. And I play at a place that they match you up with somebody else that you don't know. So here comes a um, senior right, to play tennis with me. And he starts hitting the ball. And I realize he cannot move. And then I said, this club is terrible. They put me to pair, to pair with this. I'm going to be wasting my time. Anyways, he beat me like 6-1 <laughs> or something like that. And the entire match, I was swearing and throwing my racket against the wall. And like you see John McEnroe and yes. stuff like that. And then at the end, I go and shake his hand. And he says, I'm not going to play with you anymore. And I said, why is that? Because you behave like a kid. Why are you doing this if you don't enjoy it? Don't you have a day job? This is supposed to be a time for you to enjoy. And you're playing like that? You should be embarrassed. I couldn't say a word. And that was transformation. I never done that anymore in my life. Wow. And <laughs> because it really made me realize how stupid I was. You know, when I'm, I'm not here at work and I'm trying to enjoy myself, do sports just for the sake of it, and trying to improve my game. And that's it, don't take it that seriously. It's ultimately a game. Right. But I always remember when I play tennis. So thank you for that, Elias. I wasn't sure where you were going, but I'm glad you went there. <laughs> because I wanna, I wanna just know where we are in the conversation before we pivot to, to Israel. Um, the Sea of Reeds, standing at Sinai, um, and what does it mean to our own Jewish commitments and the commitments of our children and grandchildren 
And I hear wise cautionary notes from my uh, wise colleague over here that it takes time, you have to have patience, you have to have generosity of spirit, you never know, and you don't know what seeds are planted, and therefore you have to have a long game. I mean, you can't say that the transformational experience didn't transform, maybe it didn't transform immediately, but who knows, in the fullness of time, will it transform? And then, that's that. And, and, and that's the case of the kid who doesn't come back to shul after their bar mitzvah at 13, and at 33, they email Dan and say, hey, I'm getting married, can you teach me my Torah reading? 20 years later, bingo. Okay, um, something stuck, something took, okay. Versus Elias, your story is, you know, after that guy read you the riot act, it had an immediate, concrete, positive experience on your life. It transformed. And just to sum up on that, because I didn't finish, yeah. the whole point of bringing this story, which is funny, yeah. is that I don't believe you need cyanide moments to have an experience for right. this transformation in your okay. life. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Now, I want to just go, so all of these have been in the category of positive transformation. It happens, it doesn't happen, it takes time, it doesn't take time, it's a Sinai level or it's at the tennis court, but something that has a positive experience. To round out the conversation, I just wanted to begin to think about the other end of Jewish history, which is all the sad stuff, the Tisha B'Av, the Yom HaShoah, and now October 7th. Rachel Korsim has been, um, Rachel Korsim has been teaching for these past two weeks. Um, I'll just read one real quick poem, which is um, this poem by Lital Kaplan, The Home Front Command, New Regulations for Small Talk, um, which is the way in which October 7th has changed how Israelis talk to each other and what are the rules for small talk. What's up? Canceled. Instead use what's shaken up, what's beaten up, what's blown up. What's going on? Banned, alternatives. What's breaking down? What's forever gone? Instead of the rude, how are you, mashlam cha, we must frown in the face of our friend and ask, how war you, W-A-R, uh, right? Instead of, this you gotta do in the Hebrew, mashlamcha, how are you? Instead do ma milchamtecha, how war you, W-A-R, how is the war you, how is the war you? And then, and instead of the standard response, forbidden by strict veto power, I'm fine, in fact. It is required to say, everything is cracked, and the truthful ones will answer, everything is shattered, everything is shattered. And here, you know, instead of hakol beseder, everything is in order, it's hakol beshever, everything is broken. Hakol beseder, everything is in order, banned. Hakol beshever, everything is broken, everything is shattered. That's the new language. So here you have October 7th that does the immediate, uh, total, powerful transformation in how Israelis speak and how they feel. Israel's not the same, Israelis are not the same. That's the whole theme of Rachel Korsim's poetry over these, these two weeks. And I just wanna think out loud with you about the nature of positive energy transformation which feels like it takes a very long time to come home to roost, or can take a very long time to come home to roost, and negative energy transformation, which is just immediate. And what do you think about that, when you, when you think about the difference between positive and negative energy transformations? I was going to say, you know, earlier Michelle had brought up the point that, um, that you know, Shira Hayam, crossing the sea, the, the uh, Serta Dibrot, are all 
monumental, joyous occasions, and they dissipate quickly. But then Elias had brought up also Tisha B'Av, which you know continues to resonate through history. So, oh, Michelle, hmm? what? She brought it. Oh, up. Lisa, oh, sorry, Michelle. Thank you. So, um, so, so I was thinking that your your idea of transformation that sticks longer may have to do with the type of event. If it's more of a searing, perhaps negative event, it may in fact be, you know, take hold more quickly and remain longer than um, the Shirat Hayam and the Aseret HaDibrot. Yeah. Look, I, to say any of the things that are captured in this poem is, is so real. We, to say how broken the world is, how broken Israelis are, how broken those of us in the diaspora are, that is 100% accurate. And, right, I, I think in much the way that when we experience any tragedy in the world, it, it doesn't just transform us, it breaks us, it changes us um, in, in the way of a, a, a broken limb, um, some of which will heal and some of which will, will never heal. There are, there are breaks that just never heal. And I want to say it's almost a different category than those amazing, positive, wonderful things that, that happen to us that don't leave a scar. In some way, the, the pain continues because the scar is always there. Mm. And, and, and even if you are moving a little past it, you, you, you feel it again, and it tings, and it twinges, and it brings you right back. I mean, each of you have mourned parents, and you know that that there are things that just remind you and you you get right back into that moment again. Um, whereas Sinai doesn't always always have that unless we put it there. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Michelle. So, I mean, in the recent 20, 25 years, 9-11 happened. And that was transformational, not only because of the pain, but because the airport started to be completely different, right? Um, the Tree of Life Synagogue happened, and that was transformational because we started with security in and our bombs buildings. and guards. Right, and right. That was transformational. So, although, and I'm going to pick a little bit, go into a fantasy world and the extreme to a fantasy world, and in a way, silly this comparison, but a transformational event with what happened on October 7 will be that magically, all of the sudden, these people come back alive. That will be the real transformation and in a positive way. So that is the only way that I see comparing so, such a tragedy, because that is not comparable with Sinai. That is not comparable to our wedding day. You are talking about death and destruction and so many lives ruined forever. Right. And the only way that in any fantasy world will be like all of well, a sudden they come back. Let me take your impulse and not do enough in a fantasy world because they're not coming back. But how can we take that impulse and make it live? So I want to close with, with an observation and a, and a sharing. The observation is that um, we, the Jewish people, have done this. 
right? Because we had the worst thing that ever happened to us from 1941 to 1945. One third of us were murdered. Six million of us were murdered. And three years later, the best thing that ever happened to us happened. The state of Israel was founded and it was established, right? So when you think about it, the, the move of the Jewish people is you take from the worst and somehow it doesn't, you, you always remember, you never forget, it will always define you, but it, it defines you in a, in a resilient, strong, hopeful way. You go from the Shoah to Hatikvah, and three years later, you, you found the state of Israel. Uh, it didn't bring the six million back, they don't come back, but, this, but our people's story continues and is ever stronger. And I'll just close with this thought that um, Micha Goodman has written a book which is coming out around Pesach time about um, a positive energy response to October 7th. How can Israel be a, be a new Israel? Uh, how, you know, after the Shoah, we went from no Israel to Israel. After October 7th, how can we go from the Israel that we had on October 6th and October 7th to a newer and better and stronger Israel? And, and I think that's the aspiration of transformation, to take the pain and to create a better world and a better us. And, um, and we'll be with Israel as Israel tries to do that heroic move. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom.